and you get there and they message you on the way and they're like, I'm going to, I can't actually come or maybe worse. They don't even respond to your messages. So I try to coach people in this. Well, just consider that exactly where God wanted you to be that day. So that's a, a divine intervention to lead you to that place that you may not have otherwise been. So prayer walk that neighborhood, share with people in that coffee shop and can just consider that the leading of the Holy Spirit to a new place. Hey, welcome to the One Link Podcast. I'm so glad you guys are with us here today. We are talking about cross-cultural evangelism today. So I'm super excited uh, to have a guest on with us. She's actually a returning guest. Julie, welcome back to the One Link Podcast. Hi, it's uh, great to be back with you guys. Yeah, we're so glad to, glad to have you back. Uh, listeners, if you want to go back and hear her, she was on Season 3, Episode 15 and 16, and you get a little bit more of her backstory there. Today, we'll just jump in. To remind the audience, so you're in South Asia, and you've been there, is it 11, 12 years now? Yeah, it's been 11 years at this point in South Asia. Okay, nice. It's a blessing. One of the things I remember on our last, as as we were doing this evangelism podcast, I remember on the last podcast, one of the things you shared with is that you tried to bring up the gospel, like the first conversation you meet somebody. And so I was like, oh, she would probably be great for a cross-cultural evangelism podcast. So tell us a little bit, I want to back up a little bit. How did you begin learning to share the gospel? And then maybe how did that change as you got to the field and and through the last 11 years? Yeah, absolutely. You know, it's kind of funny that that you reached out about this because I wouldn't lead with, hey, my gifting is evangelism. So when you when you first reached out about the podcast, I thought, let me think about this a little bit. But it, it's interesting when I think about before I came to the field, honestly, I wouldn't have really said that I was really like gifted and capable even of sharing the gospel, which is crazy because I was on church staff at that point. Um, and what I mean by that is my idea of evangelism was to invite people to church. I was fully capable in giving a teaching or a discipleship meeting or leading a small group and presenting the gospel in that way. I felt confident and comfortable. But in terms of evangelism and sharing in one-on-one relationships and that kind of context, honestly, I I just hadn't done it a whole lot. Uh, Now, part of the requirements to coming to the field were to get some experience in that. And so definitely grew in that. And so short-term trips were a big part of that for me as I went overseas uh, and learned how to share the gospel in a a cross-cultural context, it gave me confidence to then be able to share it when I went back to the States. And then coming overseas, really, I feel like I've grown in that a lot because, I mean, it's my my full-time job, (laughs) right? It's to to grow in that. Also got some great training as we were coming overseas. we, We really push hard over here, too, to learn some kind of tool or resource, a simple reproducible tool, not just for me to remember it, but then I can pass that on to my disciples. But I think learning that that tool, and currently what I use is three circles, and I'm sure a lot of your listeners are going to be familiar with that. But learning that tool gave me confidence. I don't always share it exactly like, hey, let me pull out my sticker, <laughs> draw the picture for you. But learning that initially, I think, helped me just grow in confidence of being able to articulate the gospel. Mm-hmm. And I'll put that in the show notes of some link to three circles, but just give a real quick rundown of what those circles are if someone isn't familiar with it. 
Yeah, if you're not familiar with it, people like to start in different places. I personally start with brokenness. So one of those circles being, hey, we live in a broken world. And the reason I like to start there is because a lot of people in my context can identify with that. Doesn't matter where we're standing uh, or sitting, something that we can kind of point to and, and draw out brokenness. And then the the other circle is to really look back and say, hey, this wasn't God's perfect design. He actually created a perfect world and had a perfect relationship with man and woman. But it's sin that has brought us into this brokenness. And we try a lot of things to, to get out of our brokenness, to fix it ourselves. But that third circle is really Jesus and, and pointing out that he is the way that we get back to God's perfect design. The way that we get back to our right relationship with God is through Jesus. It's through repentance and faith uh, in him. And so I've just found it as a really easy way to to clearly articulate the gospel, even here in a, a Hindu, uh, predominantly Hindu context where I serve. So when did you did you uh, did you come to the field and someone kind of shared that uh, nugget with you to like learn a resource, or did you pick that up along the way of like I'm just going to land on one and? Yeah, I think I before I came to the field, creation of Christ was more of the model. And and honestly, if you hear me go through three circles all the way from start <laughs> to finish, you'll hear you'll hear elements of creation of Christ come through that. Three Circles, I think, actually was really made popular since I've been on the field. Uh, there's a lot of trends and things that we miss out when we're on the field from a worldly standpoint. From a, a Christian standpoint, one of those things was Three Circles, I think, came out and became popular in the U.S. But I don't know if it was a stateside or a volunteer team that came over and I saw somebody share it. And I thought, man, I think that'll really connect with young people and college students here in, in the city. And it really has. That's excellent. I feel like there's always a whole bunch of different varieties of sharing the gospel, and we've had a variety of good ones. Good ones on this one as people have shared different ways. And ultimately, you can't. It's easy to want to like just jump from one to another to another to another. But to some extent, you got to master one of them. I think. That's right. And then maybe you can work on like okay, in a different context, maybe I'll do it slightly different. But learning another learning another tool without implementing the first one doesn't really help any with evangelism. So when you get a, a team, you work with students there primarily and a bunch of student teams, I think. So when you when you get a team in, you're orientating them. How do you begin? I'm assuming you show them the three circles. Does that kind of require them to use that as well? Or it's like, if you don't have a tool, this is it. My ultimate, sorry, my ultimate question, I'm like dragging out my questions. <laughs> my ultimate question is, how do you train your train a team when they get to the field? How do you train them to share the gospel more effectively? Yeah, that's such a good question. So we'll send three circles ahead of time, you know, on an email. There's links, several different videos on YouTube that you can watch. And we'll just say, hey, we want you guys to learn this before you come out and practice it. Try it out in your context where you understand the language and the culture and get some reps in. And then when you get to the field, we'll talk through some of those cultural differences and things to be aware of. And so then usually within 24 hours of that team landing, we we definitely have some orientation time and we dig into a lot of different things together. But one thing we do is we actually, every chance we get, we have a national brother or sister come and be a part of that orientation and they use the tool, but they share it in a way that they believe connects in their culture. And so I think it's helpful for them to see not just, not just Westerners, hey, use this, but, but some of our national brothers and sisters are able to use it. And they, they might be able to, to pick up on them when they see that, that South Asian brother or sister share some of the nuances or things that are slightly different. 
we try to draw those out too. In our context, we do have some Muslim, some Hindu. And so there might be certain things that, not that the gospel changes, the message stays the same, but there are certain things that maybe we highlight with a Hindu or we highlight with a Muslim. And so help help them think through some of those differences. And then honestly, the best thing that we do, I believe, is we send them out that afternoon. So if we have that meeting in the morning, that afternoon, we're like, we're hitting the streets and they get to practice it. And we come back together that night or the following morning and we say, okay, how did it go? Because it's never as, as clear cut. Uh, it's always messy. Uh, and so they get to debrief that and we get to talk through, okay, what, what do you, what would we do different next time? So I think that practice piece is a game changer for us. And we do that with our national partners as well. So not just volunteer teams that come out and work with us, but when we do training with South Asian brothers and sisters, we found out a long time ago, we could train them in the tool and challenge them to go use it. But when we would meet back together the next week and say, how did it go? Most people hadn't actually used it. But if we would go out right then together alongside of them and be able to model and encourage and then debrief it together, that practical piece really was a game changer in getting people just confident to go out and do it. How did you, I feel like I can imagine the listeners listening here and they're like, what do you mean just go, you know, like just go find people? What is, uh, twofold question, what is it like? How do you teach them to to get into the conversation? So it's like now, okay, I know, I know what I want to say when I get there. How do you teach them to start the conversation? And is that different for South Asians versus uh, Westerners that are coming over? Yeah, I don't know if it's so different, to be honest. I will say, though, that I initially felt more comfortable with South Asians than I do with with folks in America. That has gradually changed. I don't. I think, honestly, part of it, though, really is encouraging people to embrace the awkward. So I'll, I'll share some of the tactics, or that's not the right word, but some of the entry strategies to get into conversation that we use. But I think the biggest key is to just be willing to embrace the awkward, like, hey, it might be awkward to just go for it, but that's exactly what that person needs. And we don't know if we're going to get another chance to in- engage with them. And I don't I don't mean we have to stand on the street corner with a, a megaphone. I mean, I'm in a, a place that we have to be mindful of security and where we are and how we go about sharing, but to really establish a relationship quickly and move into a spiritual gospel conversation. So. For me, there's two main ways that I actually get into spiritual conversations here. One is more of a survey approach. And so I will just kind of say, hey, you know, I I work with college students here in the city. And one of the things that I love to do when I meet a new youth, so we call everyone youth here in the city if they're, you know, like 18 to 30 (laughs) something and unmarried. Um, So I say, hey, when I meet a new youth, I love to just ask them a few questions. Do you have a a few minutes? And, And if they do, then... Yeah, we'll start start up a conversation and just say, hey, what are what are some of the the biggest stressors or things that college students here in the city get anxious about? Man, it's it's so easy to get into that conversation of brokenness or to even be able to bring up my own personal testimony at that point. And so simple things like that. And sometimes I'll start with what what do you think college students do for fun in the city and then move along into that, but some kind of survey like approach. The other one, it's a little little uh, quicker to the point, but it's just, hey, it's my habit when I meet a new person to, to pray for them. Or 
me and my, you know, if we're out in pairs, me and my friend, we're out and we're, we're just praying over this community. Now I live in a very spiritual place. So almost every person that I meet is praying to someone. It's just probably not the, the God of the Bible that I'm praying to, but it's easy for us to say, we're out praying. Is there something going on in your life or your family's life? We would love to pray for you. And to be able to let that be the beginning of the conversation, typically it's pray for my exams, you know, maybe someone in their family is sick. It's something, something simple, but it's an easy way to then move to either my story, personal testimony, or to get into the gospel. And does those, so like when I think about and picture from coming out of my old context, I feel like that'd be very easy for me because I just stand out and People are curious. They want to meet you. What about your your South Asian brothers and sisters? Can they basically do the same thing, or are there nuances for them because they're just like everybody else? Yeah, I found a lot of them prefer the approach of prayer, uh, and so they do just say, "Hey, we're out, out praying for our community." But it is different when someone who who looks different is in the culture. It's just easier to get into the conversation sometimes. But a lot of my South Asian brothers and sisters, I think, would say that that asking that, how can we pray for you, is a great conversation starter and way to get to get into the gospel. That's excellent. So you get into the conversation. How do you how do they typically respond? What are some of the what are some of the main objections that you run into a lot? Yeah, you know, we we're taught from a Western mindset, right, to go like really methodically through like this is point A, point B, and we just kind of move down the list. I found myself a lot of times doing that and getting to the end and just kind of, hey, what what do you think about that story? Have you ever heard anything like that? Would you be interested in hearing more about Jesus? And then the reply being like, well, yeah, all all gods are the same. So yeah, you believe this, and I believe this. It's kind of that mentality we can all climb up the mountain in different ways, but we're going to reach the top together. And so that's a really common one um, where I'm like, I think that was not, that was exactly the opposite of what I was trying to say. Maybe I wasn't communicating that clearly, but I think it's just so entrenched in their worldview here that it's hard for them to wrap their minds around one specific truth or one specific reality. And so that's a big one. I think another one, honestly, for for college students here in the city where I live, it's going to have a, a an element of Hinduism to it. But honestly, a lot of it is their own surrender of their own life of, yeah, I hear what you're saying, but I've got these plans. I've got these dreams. I want to make money. I want to party, whatever it is that they're they're passionate about and pursuing in their life. And they know that to follow Christ, it would it would they'd have to walk away from that. Now, the other the third one, and I think this probably is unique to the context that I'm in. Sometimes it's it's persecution. It's, hey, I, I believe what you're saying to be true. But if I make this decision, if, if I agree or even if I want to meet and, and read the Bible and hear more, my family might kick me out or worse. And so there's definitely an element of that here in South Asia as well. I've heard that the persecution from Hindus seems to be in your context seems to be worse even than like, like in some ways you have way more freedom of what you're doing and can be more open with Muslim work because even the Muslims are getting persecuted by the Hindus. Is that, is that yeah, true? It's How does that play in? It is is definitely true. Now, some of our, our, our Muslim friends are definitely facing persecution too, but I think we don't see the persecution or even security factors coming in as much from the government. 
Now, I'm not saying it's not there. I can't just come into the to immigration desk and say, hey, I'm a, I'm a missionary here. They're not going to let me in. Uh, they're going to turn me around quickly. But most of our challenges are actually coming more from the, the community that they're in. So if someone comes to faith, their, their immediate or extended family or the community that they live in, even the, the places where they work, they're just they're going to face persecution um, from that. Some of it might be, you know, cold shoulder verbal, but some of it can be physical and, and more harmful things as well. So it's definitely a reality for the Hindus because it's the majority. And so for them to, to walk away from that. Another area where it really affects a lot of our college students, too, that I had not even thought about before I moved over here is arranged marriage is still a thing. And so if a, a Hindu or a Muslim comes to faith and their parents aren't happy about it, it's kind of like, okay, we'll let you have this, but we're going to marry you off now. And so then they're going to arrange a marriage within their culture, within their community as a way of kind of shutting down this new faith that they have and isolating them from any Christian community. Um, we, we've actually seen that happen a couple of times with some of our sisters who have come to faith, that arranged marriage factor playing in and, and just, yeah, the community is pretty complex. Yeah, everything's complex. Mm -hmm. Tell me a story about somebody that came to faith and walk me through that. Yeah, one of my favorite stories still is is one of the first first people I saw come to faith when I moved here. So goodness, this was 10, 10 years ago at this point. And and God's done some things recently, but this has just been some one of my favorites. So I'm gonna share share that one. This sister, I let me back up. I actually had met a local believer and she was burdened for some of the girls who lived in the dorm with her. And so we just started praying for the girls in the dorm. And she said, Hey, what if we did a, a Bible study together? Would you come and help me lead it? And we'll invite some of the girls in the dorm. I said, absolutely. So we started doing that together. And honestly, probably because I'm a foreigner, a couple of them started showing up. And uh, one of the girls in particular, she actually like started asking all kinds of questions, but man, I felt like in the Bible study, her questions were really like, her goal was, can I trip up the foreigner? You know, this like so-called expert in the Bible, can I, can I trip her up? Which wasn't so hard to do. She didn't realize that at the time, but it was really challenging. But I watched and over a period of about six to eight weeks, her questions seemed to start changing. She was still asking a lot of questions, but her motivation seemed to be, and I, I think she actually wants to know the answer to this. And the Holy Spirit was just working on her. Uh, the Spirit and the Word together, I think, were just just convicting her and drawing her. And over over a period of about six to eight weeks, like I said, her questions started changing. Uh, and shortly thereafter, she just said, "Hey, I I believe that this is true." I believe what you guys are saying is true. I believe what we're reading is true. Uh, and so she became a believer. Um, fast forward a couple months later, and I was actually at a meeting with one of my colleagues who she was from a different part of the country where I live. She wasn't from the city that I live in. She was here for school. And so I was talking with a worker who lived in the city where she was from. And he said, well, what's her, what's her name? And I gave her full name, which tells a lot about people's people group. He said, that's a UUPG on our list, an unreached, unengaged people group. To our knowledge, there's not another believer within that people group. And so just to see her being able to be in a city away from family and now open to the gospel in a way that maybe she wouldn't have been before, come to faith. She's now back in the city where her family lives and 
we we pray regularly that she'll have opportunities to be able to be a, a witness and a testimony there with with her community because she's one of the the only believers that we know of amongst that people group. Yeah, that's awesome. I feel like sometimes it can feel so overwhelming when you think about like all the social pressures, the persecution pressures, the language pressures, the culture pressures can feel so overwhelming to feel like anything can change. What keeps, how do you, how do you overcome that? What keeps you going? What keeps you fighting? What keeps you sharing? Yeah, I think there's, there's two things in that. One is I heard someone say one time, you never know when the next one's going to be the one to believe. And so, you know, you get no after no after no, not interested, but we never know when the next time. So I, when I'm feeling discouraged or like, okay, are these gospel conversations ever going anywhere? Just to remember like, well, I don't, I don't know when the next person that I share with is going to be the one that the Holy Spirit has been working on that day. And so, and then the kind of the second piece of that is, I think it was Bill Bright who said, that evangelism itself is sharing the gospel and the power of the Holy Spirit and leaving the results up to God. And so just kind of remember, it's freeing for me to remember when I am sharing in the power of the Holy Spirit, that the results totally are up to God, that that's not on me. And so success for my work isn't numbers or even results. Success is just simple obedience to the Father. Um, and I think what He's called us to as Christians is to share uh, when He puts the opportunities in front of us. And so trying to remember that, and I don't always do it well, but constantly coming back to that truth, you know, that, that God's the one who saves people. And our job is simply to share and be faithful to what He puts in front of us each day. That's really good. Switching topics slightly on you, what if you got a student, they're listening to this podcast, they know they're going to go, or just they have an interest overseas, they haven't even signed up for a team yet. What can they do to begin learning how to share the gospel better cross-culturally? I think the biggest thing is just to do it. So, you know, there's, there's nothing magic about getting on the plane and flying over. And so that doesn't just make you a missionary. It doesn't just make you an evangelist. And so being intentional right where you are to to share every chance that you get and to grow in that, I think it's a whole lot easier when you come on a trip, whether it's a short-term trip or maybe you're going to move overseas for a couple of years, it's a lot easier to pick up the language or the culture pieces that you need if you've already been doing it in the States versus, okay, when I move overseas, I have to learn a new tool. I have to, I've never shared my testimony before. Now I've got to get in that habit. And so learning those and just having healthy evangelism rhythms in the States, I think go a long way. Now, another thing I think that's really helpful is just putting yourself around international. So I know not every, every city has that option, but most of our places in the U.S. have internationals close by. And being in proximity with people, I think, just helps us to understand, see things from a different point of view, and really learn how to love people well, which is going to serve you well in an international context. That's true. Yeah, got to get down to a really small town before you don't have internationals. Really small. Yeah. So that's great and engaging. What can you say or talk to us about any of the nuances or just of evangelizing women in uh, in a cross-cultural setting, specifically yours, but for our ladies listening, what's different or what uh, maybe what obstacles come up that are different? Is there anything different about engaging ladies cross-culturally? 
Yeah, I don't know if this will be true across the board, but definitely here in South Asia, it's sometimes just access. We'll have a lot of our our volunteers or even, you know, two-year missionaries that are here say, well, for the guys, they walk out on the street and it's really everywhere you look, there's men and you can engage in the conversation. Um, but in a lot of our contexts here in South Asia, it's harder to find the women. So you have to to find kind of certain times of the day or pockets of the city where they may be out and connect with them. But in a lot of ways, their family may control the timings that they're out and even opportunities to be able to follow up with them. So let's say you meet with them and you're able to share the gospel on the train or on the bus, and they're interested in hearing more, trying to schedule a follow-up meeting is not always as free. Their families aren't as free with them coming out, whether it's their dads or their husband. And so finding that time to follow up versus most of the guys here in South Asia, it's kind of free reign for them to go and do as they want to. So I think access is going to be a big one. And then I think the the other side of that is similar. It's just when someone is interested in hearing more. So very, very rarely do I share the gospel with a Hindu and they come to faith in the first encounter, right? It's usually just planting the seed and then you come back and you water it and you water it and you water it. It's harder with women, I think, to be able to consistently come back and water that seed simply because of their availability and their time. And so that can be a challenging thing. Can I ask you a question on that? Because last summer, this was actually in a Muslim context, but there was a number of our teams that had that exact story of like the guys are like, yeah, we're meeting with people. And the girls are like, we can't seem to meet anybody twice. Can you give us any strategies, any ideas on how to, what do you do in that situation? Or what do you tell a team that's running into that situation? Yeah, honestly, pray a lot. And I don't, I mean, I know that's like the, <laughs> The, the Jesus answer that I'm supposed to give, but praying two things, one for more opportunities, but also for that individual in particular, you're trying to follow up with just asking the Lord to, to make a way for you to be able to connect and come back together. So I think prayer is a big one. The other thing that we, we try to coach our, our teams in is don't be afraid of redirection of your schedule. So obviously we want to follow up and meet with that person as many times as they'll meet with us. That's that's priority number one. But I like to tell people if you've, you know, maybe you've set a plan to meet up with them and they bail on you. Um, that's pretty common here for someone to say, yeah, I'll meet you again at this tea stall or this coffee shop and I'll, I'll hear you. I want to hear more. And you get there and they message you on the way and they're like, I'm going to, I can't actually come or maybe worse. They don't even respond to your messages. So I try to coach people in this. Well, just consider that exactly where God wanted you to be that day. So that's a, a divine intervention to lead you to that place that you may not have otherwise been. So prayer walk that neighborhood. Share with people in that coffee shop and can just consider that the leading of the Holy Spirit to a new place. I think that helps us have a little more purpose in the disappointment, because obviously you're disappointed when you had that plan. You thought this man, I get to read the Bible with this person and follow up with them. And it doesn't happen, but it gives a little purpose behind that disappointment that's there. That's a really good, really good perspective on that. What about just the whole scheduling thing? You know, I live and die by my calendar, unfortunately. You may live and die by your calendar. I'm not sure. But how do you crisscross that with cultures that are not so time sensitive? 
Yeah, I definitely, that, that's been a struggle for me. I mean, the last 11 years here on the field, because I'm very much that I got, I've got three calendars on my wall behind us. If I, t- you know, you could show you around the the office here. And so that I think has been a struggle, but it, it's definitely not the way of this culture. It is not uncommon for someone to show up an hour late to a meeting. It's like, if we said, we're going to meet at 3.15 and I come anytime before four o'clock, I'm still on time because it was still in that, you know, three window. And so keeping that perspective and always being prepared to redeem the time when you are somewhere. So if that's bringing your computer and needing to do some, you know, administrative work while you're there, or maybe it's looking for other opportunities to be able to meet with someone uh, right where you're meeting, but looking for that balance. The other thing I think that we can be really from a Western mindset is we're just attached to our phones and our schedules and everything that we miss. We don't have the margin in our life to be able to interact with people. And so trying to keep a schedule that's not so overcrowded that you actually have time in your life to have people in in your home or interact with your neighbors and looking for those opportunities. For me, what helps because I am such a scheduler is to write that on my calendar. If I need to write in on, on Thursday night, have my neighbors over for dinner or, you know, try to go for a walk with them or whatever, whatever that looks like. For me, it helps to put it on my calendar. And I don't, I hope that doesn't come across as making people projects because that's not what I'm saying. I want to make it an intentional effort on my part to engage with them. It's making sure that it's a priority and putting that's it right. where, where it'll it'll get there. Yeah, that's a big a big struggle. It is, it is. God God does a lot of refining, I'm sure. I know he does on me all the time. I'm sure he does on you. And I know he does on our teams as well, refining some of these things. That's right. I think we think of productivity as like, you know, ABCD, everything's there. And I'm going to, you know, meet as many people as possible. And sometimes God's like, I, I have other plans. Mm-hmm. You can bring your head against this wall for a while. That's right. But I really like, I really like that redeeming the time. And uh, this is, this is a divine in- intervention for where God wants me today. I've heard some stuff. When we talk going back to this idea of persecution, specifically family persecution, I've heard some some stuff about trying to lead whole families to the Lord as opposed to like just sharing with an individual. Two part question: that active strategy you guys use, how would you coach a team on taking more of that approach, a group approach, I guess, as opposed to an individualistic one when maybe they're at college and they're away from family? So yeah, I think we definitely are taking more of a household approach here in South Asia for that exact reason, what you just said. It seems to us that if the whole family comes to faith, uh, it is far more likely that that, that uh, believer is going to do better than if it's in isolation. And then the other piece of it, honestly, for us is it it really lends itself towards church planting. And so if we're in an area where there is no church, that's our goal. That's our heart, because we know when these people come to faith, they might lose the community that's around them. And so we want to put gospel community around them. And sometimes that means planting a new church, especially in our context. And so we've seen when a whole family comes to faith, a lot of times where we are, then they invite their neighbors into that, right? And they come and that's the beginning of a church plant for us. And so that's definitely the approach that we take. I will say sometimes there's exceptions to that. Like you you mentioned some of those, right? A college students in a new city. We're not going to 
shy away from sharing the gospel with an individual simply because their whole family's not there. But we do want to train them and challenge them and pray for them to take that gospel back to your place, whether that's a a visit home over a holiday or they move back after college. It looks different for different people. But how do we equip them to be able to also share their faith, start a Bible study and to take that back and be able to do that in their hometown? That's that's what we would desire to see. What's the dynamic like? You meet a girl, you make a friend or or two of our girls, you know, they're out, they make a friend and they want to go back and engage with the family. What is that dynamic like in a fairly patriarchal society going back in with the daughter or the wife and saying like, hey, we'd like to share yeah. something with the family? Mm-hmm. So it's honestly not weird to invite yourself over to their house. Like I okay. have totally... Hey met girls at the mall and shared with them and then been like, I would love to share more next time instead of meeting here at the mall could in the food court, could I come to your house? It's also not abnormal in this context for them to just say, Hey, next time we want, we want you to come home, have chai, mom will cook for you, you know, the whole, whole deal. And so that kind of opens up the door to be able to get into the house. And then usually for me as a woman, the women gather But you'll find the dads or the uncles or the other brothers, they're not far and they're listening in. And so what we find is if a household opens themselves up to us and I'm able to share, then I'm going to I'm going to share with whoever's listening in. And it might be someone listening in from outside or they may be kind of in the room, but not really paying attention or pretending to not pay attention. But they're they're engaging. But we we do try. So let, let's say then everyone seems to be engaged with this study. Culturally speaking, it, it wouldn't be great a great idea for me to try to invest into or disciple one of the guys. So we would look for a, a national brother to come and to go uh, with me. And let's 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 be able to introduce in that. I mean, honestly, for us, our desire is always local ownership. So at any point, that we feel like it's a good idea and we look for this early on. We want to bring South Asian brothers and sisters to come with us into that. And this in particular conversation would be a great time for me to introduce then a South Asian brother to that mm-hmm. family. Mm-hmm. And then they can help continue that. Right. Well, I really appreciate you spending some time with us today. I appreciate the work that you're doing there. Um, I hope it is fruitful and multiplying. Anything, any last thing, story, tip, idea, thing you'd like to tell our listeners? Yeah, I would just say uh, thanks for letting me join you guys on the podcast. Uh, We would love to have some of you come and serve with us in South Asia, those of you who are listening. But more importantly, just just do it wherever you are. Uh, I feel like as we are being faithful to the, the fields that God's called us to in this season, that he's faithful to draw people to himself. And so, you know, we make evangelism a whole lot about us and our fears and our worries and our strategies, um, but it's all about Jesus. So keep exalting him, keep pointing people to the word and trust the power of the Holy Spirit uh, as you're out sharing. And I, I pray that that's not just true as you come overseas, but also on the campuses and places where you live and serve today. Absolutely true. And with all the complexities, you just can't outthink them all. But, That's right. But God's pretty good at that. He's pretty complex. That's right. Awesome. Well, thanks so much for being with us. And uh, we'll, maybe we'll get you back, back again one of these days. That sounds great. Thanks. You're welcome. Listeners, y'all have a great day. And we'll catch you next time on the One Link Podcast.